Welcome to Dusty Trophies, where we look back on some of the most iconic sporting performances of yesteryear. A game that needed a miracle worker, and David Beckham is that man. After about sixth or seventh free kick that I'd missed, I was thinking, well, maybe today's not going to be the day. Almost a personal crusade from the captain. Beckham has virtually played Greece on his own. David Beckham, you do feel there are certain moments of destiny. Arguably the most recognisable footballer in the world. Yes! Yes for England! David Beckham has done it big time! Now, well aware that last time we didn't actually int introduce ourselves, which is a pretty vital cog in the podcast system. Uh, so we'll do that to begin with this week and I am Tom and the reason I got involved with this podcast is because I've always had a deep passion for sport and looking back on some of these historic moments makes me happy. I'm Ian, uh, I did a little intro myself last week about how much I love cricket, uh, I also love most other sports that you can actually watch on TV, uh, there really are no rules as to what I'll watch uh, usually the rule that I tell people is that almost the more slow the more enjoyable I find them like snooker golf etc I just love it all looking forward to uh to sharing lots of inspirational stories in the future hello my name is Dan and I also like sport for all the reasons above and also it's bloody good to watch with some beers nice that's me. nice well put so for our protagonist today, our story really starts in 1998. 23.8 million Brits watched on as England played their great rivals Argentina. The build-up to the game was laced with barbarism between the two sets of fans. And of course that spilled onto the pitch courtesy of David Beckham's flailing boot. Now his 47th minute red card hampered England's chances greatly. And the backlash of this momentary head loss was intense. He was almost reprieved as Sol Campbell's bullet header hit the back of the net. But a questionable call from the referee ruled it out. It wasn't to be for England as they exited the 1998 World Cup. The fans focused their fury on David Beckham. Three years later, we head to Old Trafford where we focus on England versus Greece. It had been the near-perfect campaign for England, including a thrashing of Germany 5-1. All that was required was a draw against lowly Greece, who were second bottom in Group 9, in order to qualify for the 2002 World Cup. England were without injured star man Michael Owen, so the burden fell to one man, David Beckham. Now, chaps, we uh, we all must have been about six or seven years old when this, this game was played. Uh, and I'd argue that every young football fan remembered this fixture. So, firstly, do you recall where you were for this game? Yeah, I think I do recall where I was for this game. I think it, com it comes under my that qualifying campaign. I think my earliest football memory to watch that I can really think about is the 5-1 the Germany, first and foremost. I mean, I started looking back on, like, do I remember Euro 2000? No. And I think there's that qualifying campaign for the World Cup that I really remember. I remember being at home in my old house back when the TV was like 
four feet thick as well as four feet wide and just being an absolute disbelief kind of having the game described to me by my dad you know all, all the understanding around you with football comes through the adults where they just say like oh if Beckham takes free kick then then that's what we need and I just remember being really excited whenever he lined up for free kick yeah and obviously going nuts as a little six-year-old or seven-year-old brat that I was whatever it was when when the when the final when the final ball went in I don't. I don't really remember. I seem to have lost all memory of being a child when we recall these sporting events. I don't really remember. I remember the game, and I remember growing up with the game, and I remember obviously the iconic moment Beckham did the fr- took the free kick. The earliest memory for me with England is when we got knocked out to Portugal with pens, but that's two thousand and six. Oh four, I think. I think oh four as well. Uh, I think we we had back to back tournaments where we got knocked out by Portugal. Whenever Figo was Figo a player, Figo, was Figo a player? <laughs> one, one, one of the one of the player, greats for, of, for, of our generation. Yeah, it was whatever squad he was in. I remember he took one. I remember getting very angry at his face. But to get back onto the game at hand, the short answer is no. I don't remember where I was. I think for me, this was the second iconic footballing moment that I I can recall. Um, the first one was what made me fall in love with the game, really, when Michael Owen scored those two goals against Arsenal in the FA Cup final the year before. But that was really my first experience of, of football, whereas by this point, I'd already established somewhat of a love for it. So when Beckham hit that free kick that went into the top bins without, without spoiling the story, I knew what that meant. And uh, it was it was a first moment of true elation um regarding football true elation i love that true elation yeah i think i think we might have been yeah still at the junior school i went to i remember reenacting you know that the keepers kind of like shimmy left Re-enacting. shimmy left and right <laughs> all the time i never knew you had such a good right boot no i wasn't reenacting the kick itself but you know it's just i love the way there's that angle behind the goal once the free kicks hit and the keeper like shifts onto his left foot and then shifts back to his right. And he's just, he just, mm. he's just watched it the whole time. He's got the best seat in the house. I think that's how like, you know, Beckham became such a touchstone for pretty much all lads who love football our age. That's how he introduced himself as just English football's hero. And obviously mm. did lots of water cement that over the next few years. I feel like for those kids that maybe didn't have so much of a football influence from the, from their local team growing up at, at that point in life it was really a decision do you do you follow Michael Owen's Liverpool or do you follow David Beckham's Man United I, I'd imagine a lot of Man United fans these days were uh, are a Man United fan as a result of of this one kick oh yeah definitely just because yeah you know Man United were the best team and obviously when you're six you support the best team like it's just not even a thing and yeah. it wasn't by the time I got to big school in Portsmouth that I was essentially big bullied school. into <laughs> bullied into uh, supporting the local team nice and one one thing we wouldn't have been aware of was really the hatred aimed at Beckham before that so just just to give you a bit of context around that when Beckham was red carded against Argentina in 1998 there was complete wrath from the media and from from the general public in fact the the mirror 
chose their their headline to be 10 brave lions one silly boy uh in the wake of, of that defeat to argentina on on penalties in the same paper i believe they actually um had a in, in the middle basically a, a print version of a dartboard that you could cut out and naturally david beckham's head was on the bullseye and uh, they they said take your fury out on on this which is um quite remarkable i mean i can't imagine them getting away with uh with that these days mm. now before we get into the the meat of the game what i wanted to do is uh just run through a, a quick game with you both so <clears throat> what i'm going to do is i will give you eight of the starting 11 for this game england versus greece and i would like you to guess the other three if you if you're up to that all right cool fire away so pretty straightforward uh in defense i'll leave the goalkeeper for now we had gary neville at right back rio ferdinand and keown in the cent- uh, center backs ashley cole left back then you had sort of midfield three, really, with Beckham, Gerrard and Scholes. Uh, roaming ahead of those players was n- going to leave that one. And then we've got Robbie Fowler up top and one other player. So you're missing a goalkeeper. You're missing a sort of centre attacking midfielder who actually ended up playing most of the game on the left wing. And you're missing a forward. So Dan... I'll give it to you to to have the first attempt. Well, I know the other striker. Yeah, they're all well-known players. So, one of them less so, perhaps the uh, the centre attacking midfielder. The the Heskey was the other striker. Heskey was the other striker, yeah. And then the striker that the striker that came on was good old Pompey legend Sheringham. Yeah, yeah I remember Sheringham coming on. There were two um, two strikers that came on. Uh, it was Teddy Sheringham, of course. And Andy Cole came on at half time for one of the pl- the other players that you need to get. You're missing a goalkeeper. Yeah, I know the and goalkeeper. Far away in. So I, mean, I have watched the highlights recently, so I know this. But he was getting a lot of praise for making some fine saves in that second half. And it was it wasn't it, didn't everyone hate him? Nigel Martin. Yeah, it was Nigel Martin. I, I remember hating him at the time <laughs> just for no reason. <laughs> well, because your I guess dad he him. just he just looked so. He looked so regulation. He just didn't look like a footballer. And when you're growing up, you want... I don't know. Exactly. You, there, was, there was that awe about players that had fancy hair and stuff. Whereas yeah, Seaman had that big ponytail. Yeah, exactly. Whereas Nigel Martin was just the most sort of regulation accountant type looking chap. Seaman was, yeah. was out injured at the time. Yeah. And we're missing one player who... Um, let's just say I don't think we're going to be doing an episode on him anytime soon. <laughs> Can you give us a clue, like what club he played for at the time or whatever? Or Yeah, so he actually, I can't remember what club he was playing for at the time, but he's one of very few players in recent times who've played for both Liverpool and Everton, if that helps. Oh, jeez. Can you name the middle line again, please? Gerard Beckham. <laughs> yeah, so it was Gerard, Scholes and Beckham. So this, this player played for Hull, Nottingham Forest, Leeds, Liverpool, Everton, Middlesbrough and Spurs. 
I've I've no idea, honestly. Okay, fine. Gareth I'll, Southgate. Uh, Gareth Southgate. He was on the bench, okay. I think. I was watching an interview with him. Go on. Um, yeah, so it was it was Nick Barnby. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who, nice. If you if you if you watch the whole game, the guy has absolutely no idea, and actually. Beckham basically just runs up to him and takes the ball off him because every time he gets the ball, he has absolutely no marbles. So moving on to the heart of the matter, which is the game itself. Uh, Now, before I go into it, I just wanted to, to note how impressive this performance is from David Beckham so if we look at what Michael Cox said you may know him as zonal marking on Twitter very impressive football analyst and journalist said that this might sound ridiculous considering that England boast the only footballer to have ever scored a hat-trick in a World Cup final however this is perhaps the most iconic individual display by a footballer in an England shirt Wow. Okay, so that's how that's how how good we're talking here, really. So we start from the off. His first real involvement is at four thirty, four minutes thirty. That is, where for some weird reason England get a free kick, and it's about forty yards out, and Beckham decides to to have a pop from forty yards. Mm. Not not like a, a Roberto Carlos thunderbolt either. He just tries to finesse it into the. the the upper echelons of the goal um, from 40 yards. But needless to say, it, it doesn't even make it to the six-yard box before it's, <laughs> before it's cleared. One of those um, ones gets headed away by the defender. Yeah. I, th- <laughs> I think it was it was so limp that it actually was booted away by the defender. Like, yeah. <laughs> just dropped at his feet. It's um, ultimate shame if any free kick on goal, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was so tame that it allowed Greece to, to quickly counter and actually take the first shot on goal, which um, fortunately was sliced about 15 feet wide, which is a, a pretty common theme in the first half from both sides. Just This leads me on quite nicely because the first half is a, is a common theme where they basically pass the ball to Beckham and Gerrard and say, lump it up top to Heskey and Fowler. And I was watching this and I was thinking, surely all football in the noughties wasn't like this. All English football wasn't like this because it was proper Stoke City under Tony Pulis stuff. Do you remember that generation of just nil-nils, England nil-nils, game after game? I don't necessarily think that's the noughties. I have a feeling that's just England. I love watching England play. I think I probably get more passionate about England than my local team, Portsmouth. And I love watching Pompey play, but there's just a different feeling watching England. But for years and years watching them play, there's just so much frustration about that's that's all we ever did. We had no and people always kind of you know, hypothesized there was because of the media, like all these young kids would come through. They were fearless, so they could just do anything. But then when they get older they they've been ridiculed by the papers, so then they they they're so fearful. They don't do anything. All they do is long balls, whereas if they try and do something spicy and a bit of connecting play and a bit of skill and try things if it goes wrong then they get screwed but I always remember watching England play it was just so dull yeah like we only beat people like 4-1 when we played like Moldova or something 
my, my theory about that is that, yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Dan, with that we always struggle to actually play entertaining football as England because of those reasons you said. And I remember just being so used to watching England turn up in matches that you'd expect them to win mm. and completely choking just because of the occasion yeah. and like fearing what the papers might say about them. And I think that the only time that that was actually like they were free of that kind of washing over was, was when they honestly had probably the worst result in the history of the English football team, in my opinion, was that loss to Iceland. Oh, God, And yeah. I think that was kind of like, once you've hit rock bottom, like where can you, you can only go up. And then they started to sort of just change their attitude from there a little mm. bit. Obviously, Southgate's kind of helped with letting the players express themselves a little bit more as well. But yeah, I do remember referring back to the noughties, even my kind of very uneducated football brain at the time, you know, listening to what the commentators say, Sven Goran Eriksson had this golden generation wasn't really the best at getting the best out of the golden generation, let's say. And we still played pretty negative football. And yeah, watch, watching the highlights, as as I've watched in the last you know week of, week or so of that match, it does seem to be a lot of just long balls up to Heskey, see if you can like win the second ball, see what happens. I think Andy Gray, actually, who was commentating on the game, he mentioned at one point England had 10 men behind the ball. Maybe even eleven men behind the ball, and it was nil-nil against Greece in a in a game that was it was pretty much must-win until Germany ended up drawing with Finland. But imagine how much abuse Southgate would get if he did that now. I'm sure it was more toxic then, because like the expectations were just as high, but we kind of hadn't really learned to give the people a break yet. Yeah, men- mental health and yeah. um, looking after people wasn't really a thing for the, the tabloids <laughs> back then, was it? It's it's actually fairly similar, Ian, just a, a point that you mentioned there with regards to the shackles coming off when we lost to Iceland. It's actually a, a theme in English sport because if you look at what happened to the cricket team um, having lost in the was it 2014 or 2015 World Cup, it took us to hit rock bottom for that that free-flowing approach. Yeah, the big so, rebuild. The big rebuild, yeah. With, with, the, with the rugby that happened as well. Like, we had the home World Cup in 20... That was 2015 as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, and they went out in the, in the group, and it's the first, like, host nation to never make it through to the knockout stage of a World Cup. And then they just like, all right, we're going to get the best-paid coach, the best-rated coach in the game in. And then we got to the final, like, four years later being the best team in the world and smashing the All Blacks up. So I think that it is, it is, it could be seen as a theme in English sport, definitely. Maybe it's a, a life lesson that you need to hit rock bottom before you can unleash your true potential. So I might, I might, go. I might get on the cans straight away after this. <laughs> so it's 9.28 AM for anyone listening. Um, right. Anyway, moving on to the rest of the, the first half. So, we had about 20 minutes of crap, which was basically <laughs> De- Gerard, Beckham, down. Nigel Martin uh, and the Greek keeper playing a game of tennis where they just booted it down each other's throats. <laughs> if, you, if you're going to watch the highlights, definitely skip between about six minutes and 30 minutes. Although Beckham in that time did, of course, have another shot. And Andy Gray, with all his wisdom, uh looked at Beckham and said uh, he's definitely thinking which um, 
<laughs> be pretty concerned if it wasn't. So, moving forward, it's, it, it really gets to about 30 minutes when Beckham clearly decides to, to take it up a notch. Suddenly, he was no longer playing on the right side of midfield and was seemingly everywhere. The ball loops up. Beckham pounces and he swiped to the floor. And this is where, is it Clive Tilsley or Martin? No, it's Martin Tyler is the other commentator. And um, this is where he first lords David Beckham. And he says, you know, the captain has been the first to react every time so far this game. I was watching um, something to do. Gareth Southgate was actually recalling this match. And he was talking about, as a player who would train, if you have trained with David Beckham and you knew his potential when it comes to free kicks is one he was one of those players where you would just let him take as many as he could because you knew that at some point he was at such a high level that one of them was going to convert so i don't know by law of diminishing returns at some point there is going to be a goal so if you just give him all the free kicks in 90 minutes there is going to be a goal yeah and i remember gareth southgate was like is any free and like the one you said in the beginning that was possibly a bit too far out they would just be like, yeah, go on, Bex, have another go, have another go. Yeah. yeah. That, the theory makes sense then. That, that's one thing I remember from one of my actual memories from the game without even watching the highlights anyway, was just watching him take loads and loads of free kicks. It was, I think it was an extended family watching as well and it wasn't necessarily my dad, but it was someone else in the room, I can't remember, saying like, he will score one. Like, he will score one today. Mm. Just, no matter how many he lines up, like, one will go in. Yeah, so when, when he got side down here, this led to actually his third free kick attempt. Uh, the first one, obviously, was the, the crappy one. The second one was well saved. And already 29 minutes in, uh, Martin Tyler saying that if you feel anyone deserves the accolade of a priceless goal today, that, that David Beckham is our man. Um, and as he says that, he he rifled it into Rose Ed. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, he limped away due to... The pr- pretty uh, aggressive nature of the tackle. I'll I'll rattle through the rest of the, the first half because this isn't really where where David Beckham comes into his complete sort of superhero status. But it was about thirty five minutes in when when Greece took the lead with a, a pretty scruffy, pretty scruffy goal, but actually well finished in the end, where the, the Greek player swivelled and calmly finished it just into the bottom left corner. Then the camera pans to our champion. <laughs> and really, it's it's at this point where, like Ben Stokes in the previous episode, you see that focus just go up a notch. And for the next 10 minutes leading up to halftime, there's, there's actually a minor fight back from England, which is, which is led by Beckham. And it leads to his fourth free kick from inside 35 yards. He's had three attempts and he's... Um, I wouldn't say bottled, but he's uh, he's been wide of the mark on all three of them. So this time he floats it in to, I think it's Rio Ferdinand, who just, again, crap England, just <laughs> sort of heads it, heads it towards the corner flag. So as things stand, England are 1-0 down to Greece, heading into halftime. Germany 0-0 with Finland, which means Germany will top the group. And England would have to head into a playoff to actually secure their World Cup final status, yeah. um, which, as we all know, we've touched upon it, if we got to that playoff, 
it probably would have been curtains for England. Yeah, that's the other thing I remember from watching it at the time. Is I had to have explained to me so many times by the adult like why a playoff was so terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, it's not like we can't go to the World Cup. I was just so... I was so confused as to why we wanted to avoid the playoffs so much. Like, no, 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 we're England. There's no way we can face a playoff. This is ridiculous. I mean, it would have been a case of us, you know, losing 1-0 on aggregate to Norway. Yeah. And then I Whoever probably would have chosen Norway, another... Romania, whatever. Yeah, I probably would have chosen another sport to fall in love with. And then the same old, you know, as England walked down the tunnel, the old Trafford tunnel, uh, at half-time, Martin Tyler looks at Andy Gray and says... The players are mentally shot. They're not playing as they can, which again is something that we're so accustomed to as England fans. I have a question though for you. So this is uh, going to be our first inclusion of question of the week. So our champion, David Beckham, what I would like to know is a guess from each of you. How many World Cups has he scored in? So he scored that pen against Argentina, 2002. That was a 2002 World Cup, wasn't it? Or was that 2006? I remember oh. he scored the free kick against Ecuador in the last 16. I'm going to say two World Cups as, as, a, as a guess. Two World Cups. Dan? How many World Cups has he been in? Well, there was that one. Was it, was it Capello's World Cup in... Capello. 2014 or 2010 was rubbish as well Capello I remember when he, he just took everyone wanted to pick Beckham and he took him along as like a player's ambassador and he was just there looking good in a suit for like the entire thing that could be my job to be fair <laughs> my answer however many World Cups he's played in I reckon he scored in all of I'm them not, I'm not accepting that <laughs> you can't have a, the biggest give us a number G- give me a rough number in. I've given you my number. You do your own number. My, my number's going to be five. All right, good number. Oh, that's, that's that's a really good number, that is. Ian, are you sticking with two? I don't know, yeah. A two I definitely know of. So, yeah, at least two, let's say. Okay, that's a, that's a bit wishy-washy. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. taking two. Dan, you're saying five? Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll find out the answer to that at the end of the episode. So this is the half where Beckham hits peak superhero and this point in particular is worth watching because he takes the ball off Martin Keown who's pissing around with it at the back and he he sort of tries to tries to chip it towards the forwards and it gets intercepted and he's so angry at himself for losing the ball that <laughs> He then legs it around after every Greek defender for about 30 seconds. <laughs> and I think this is perhaps the most relatable part of his performance. When you're playing five aside, you lose the ball, you're livid at yourself. I mean, you guys have played with me, you know, you know how I react. And you just end up, you end up just launching yourself around, around the pitch. Um, and naturally, you know, you know how fans react to that sort of thing. So yeah, the yeah, deaths yeah. of our levels in Old Trafford just just soared. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's the other thing as well. Like the romance of the occasion, he's playing at Old Trafford, mm-hmm. and you know he can thrive off that kind of energy. And like, yeah, like you said, it's the things that all all fans love to see is like the players kind of just running around, chasing complete lost causes and making themselves more knackered than they need to mm-hmm. be at the end game. Yeah, count 
counterproductive actually but yeah i think i remember like i've read a few sort of you know hagiographic pieces about beckham in my time obviously because i love him and one thing that they all said is anytime he was um anytime he was fouled or thought he'd been fouled and like was pissed off at the ref he would then kind of take his revenge on the ref by going and just committing an egregious <laughs> horrible foul on the opposition and getting himself booked <laughs> <laughs> it's just like his like petty reaction so kind of like irresistibly human not getting his way and like kind of lashing out in that way did either of you ever go for a beckham hairstyle i think i might have had my eyebrow done like his actually you know he had the slit in the eyebrow oh, yeah. i think you did actually. i think i might have had that done when i was a kid yeah no, no chance my mum would have allowed that no yeah of course i remember i met um i, I met bex and victoria once so i thought at, um, this like conference and Madame Two London. Swords. <laughs> no, I was like adamant. Dad was like, "Oh look, there's there's David Beckham." I was like, "Oh wow!" I went over and had a photo, and I was like, I was like, like just like gobsmacked. <laughs> I was like in Nirvana for the rest of the day, just wandering around like oh, Beckham. And then on in the way in the car on the way back, Chloe was my sister was like, "You know they were lookalikes, yeah." Oh. And it oh, literally nice. broke my heart. However, the information that actually broke my heart at that age was I thought Beckham's name was just Beckham. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't know about David. That just wasn't a thing to me. So I just thought he, his whole thing was just Beckham. So he when he was, he was like Ronaldo. Yeah, basically. Just so a Chloe, one-named maverick. My sister knocked me down with the fact that they were lookalikes. And then she went on to explain that the first name was David and then the second name was Beckham and that really just broke my soul so yeah nice this is this is ridiculous it's quite a well known fact but do you know the name of the hospital he was born in Sir David's I don't know Dan Sir Alex no Ferguson's the hospital in Leighton I believe which is East London it's called Whips Cross Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That's so perfect. The 93rd minute at Old Trafford. After this sort of flurry of headless chicken activity, it then turned into the David Beckham show. There's about 10 minutes between 55 minutes and 65 minutes where, honestly, it's, it's a cliche term football, but he is everywhere. So free kicks, crosses into the box, shots on target, no reward, but you can just see with every single play, he's getting closer. And, uh, he's, you know, like I said, some of the other players were just quaking in their boots. It's kind of, kind of like how we were talking about earlier, where it's just one thing you sort of learn from watching England is you're just desperate for people to like play up in an England shirt, like actually play better than they could play for their club. I think I think Rooney did it. Rooney did it early doors, I think, when he was in his young... Yeah, but it was Euro 2004. He was elite. Yeah, well, when, when he was young, yeah, in, in those Euros, he was he was amazing, yeah, I guess. That was that was when he, before he had the fear, like, like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Anyway, we get to the 67th minute and <clears throat> you know that meme that's, that's going about where it's 
you know, when your girlfriend watches you play for the first time. <laughs> um, I haven't seen it, no. Actually. I haven't actually seen that meme. It must be the first time that, that Posh has been sitting in the in the stadium watching him because he takes the ball from the left-back area. He flies down the wing like a sort of weird turbo man. He gets parallel with the 18-yard box before being crowded out. So he sort of retreats towards his own half with the ball still at his feet. Cruyff turns to beat one man, breezes past the next, and then about three Greek players just plough into him um, and halt his momentum. But uh, if we go back to the, the mirror headline where he's uh, supposedly a silly boy, um, we see him become a man here because despite having three people charge into him, he doesn't retaliate at all. He picks the ball up. He places it down, ready for his umpteenth free kick. And he has all the focus of a man who's about to do something special. So this personal crusade, as Martin Tyler puts it, begins as he whips the ball in and Teddy Sheringham, with his first touch, flicks it into the bottom corner. One all. As things stand, England are going to the World Cup Finals. Yeah, like sharing him threatened to take away the story, didn't he? He's like, yeah, <laughs> came on as a sub, like as a very old man. 37 or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, he's always kind of looked the same age. But yeah, typical England. Uh, we just had this sumptuous goal, this personal crusade from David Beckham to, to make things level. And one minute later, we concede again. <laughs> um, some village idiot defending from, from Martin Keown this time. Um, 2-1, England are heading out of the World Cup. We again go over to Gelsenkirchen, which is Schalke Stadium. Germany's still being held by Finland, but uh, that's all they need as things stand. Let's go to the final moment. Okay, so about 15 minutes of England really trying to batter down the Greek defence, but with no joy. You'll all remember it. Yeah, because I, I remember I watched the highlights recently and I remember it's it's a long ball floated up and like sharing him challenges for it. And I remember having like such sympathy for the Greek defender because it's just not a foul. Like, you know, they both jump up in the air. It's not like a plough through or anything like that. It's like, it's just such not a free kick. And the Greek defender, kind of who he is, is just like laughing. He's like, no, yeah. absolutely get out. Do you think there's a part of the ref, the refs on the pits going, cool, I'd love to see this guy right now. <laughs> I'm gonna give a go on Beckham swaz. That's why I couldn't be a ref. I'd, I'd be a sucker who's, for the story. The, the ref's going. I wonder if he's got a first name. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he he lines it up. We're at 92 minutes now, so we know that this is his his final attempt. Uh, free kick. Let's say 14. And Martin Tyler, as he often does, sits there. He says. You feel there are certain moments of destiny. Arguably the most recognisable footballer in the world. Yes! As Beckham, <laughs> as Beckham sings it melodiously into the left-hand side of the goal, to the right of the goalkeeper, who, as you mentioned earlier, his feet are firmly planted. And at this point, Beckham and the rest of his England teammates run to the corner flag. This kick was drawing a line under four years of abuse, four years of bitterness, four years of England fans 
not all of them, but enough to make it hurt, shouting the most horrible things at me while I was playing for my country. They're the words of David Beckham. And he stands there as this virtuoso in the corner, taking England to the World Cup finals. Where, of course, you know, we, we bottled it and David Seaman got lobbed, but uh, it was fun while it lasted. Speaking of um, of, of the free kick, what Beckham could do so well is he could just curve it at such an aggressive rate and get such dip on it. But it wasn't necessarily that kind of dip and movement that players like Bale and David Luiz do from that kind of yeah, punting. He didn't, didn't knuckleball it, did he? He just, knuckleball he just it, whipped yeah. it. But when did that, because everyone tries to do that now, That that's kind of like, it's not as much a curving David Beckham or... I think Ronaldo kind of made the yeah. made the knuckleball against more Ponte, mainstream. Wasn't it? Oh yeah, his his free kick against Pompey is one of my favourite goals of all mm. time. Like, I mean, I love them because they're celebrations as well. I don't know if you remember that Ronaldo one where he's just looking so pure in that um that red United kit and he's got his little like, you know, half rolled up sleeves and stuff like that. But going back to Beckham, you know, he's got his shaved head look. He's back in that pristine white England like Umbro kit back when Umbro mm. used to make really good kits for us. Incredibly baggy as and, well. Yeah, yeah, so baggy and it's just so brilliant. And I, I love the way he's kind of running solo into the corner, like in front of the Stretford end, I think. And he like yeah. does a little jump fist pump and then just raises his arms like in like perfect timing and some yeah. sort of like Messiah like cross just as teammates come and like hug him from behind. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I can just imagine the catharsis of that moment as he's celebrating in front of his home fans to take us to the World Cup where like his scene of greatest crime was and like you know we're we're talking about the poetry of this whole podcast and like that that kind of moment and that kind of like euphoria kind of scream from him as he just lifts his arms is just I couldn't think of anything more perfect. Mm. I don't know if you if you remember what that England shirt felt like to wear, but it was horrible. absolutely horrible. horrible I had like the, the worst chafe on my nipples. Yeah, I had an <laughs> Owen one and it was just oh, yeah. horrible. You, know, you never know what the actual players wore instead of the replicas and stuff. But yeah, like I yeah, don't think, I don't think the technology was, uh, was quite where it is now in terms of... The players also and, weren't uh, eight-year-old boys. Especially aerodynamics. <laughs> aerodynamics is... Uh, every, that's what... Football kit is just rubbish now. And you look at like 80s, 90s, noughties... It was just so cool, and it was almost because they didn't actually care how good it kind of worked, so to speak. It just like, is this a nice kit? But now it's all about how you know aerodynamics, tightness. Can it be pulled by a defender? Will it rip and all this stuff? I used to love seeing the World Cups where France would come in like their the coq sportif, mm. like Germany would have the Adidas, we'd have the Umbro. Like everyone would like come with their own like makers, yeah. like kits and stuff like that. Nations brand. And now it's just all Nike and. Um, Remember, like, yeah, FIFA have got like broadcasting rules where you have to have like more block colors preferred because it like works better for the TV broadcast and stuff like that. It's just, it's a sad, sad kind of state of affairs compared to what it used to be. Dur- during lockdown, I've had a, a real obsession for buying vintage kit. You, you just can't, you can't beat it, really. If if you could get one, any kit, any kit, <sighs> prem kit, prem kit. Oh, I'd I'd have gone for that England Italia ninety kit if I was if I was allowed that. Premier I'm a League I'm one, a Liverpool fan. I'd argue some of those like those candy kits. Don't know if you know them. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. The candy ones back in the day, yeah, yeah. The sponsor. They're about two hundred quid a pop these days. But also, I love the bruised banana, the Arsenal one. Yeah, yeah oh yeah. yeah, that's great. The first one. I loved um, the Canios 
scissor kick for West Ham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was when they were sponsored by Dot Martins. I literally said to my dad, Dad, I know what my birthday present is. And we went out and bought that Dot Martins kit. And it was just, That's it had one, of, had one of those fat collars that the, you won't see it anymore, the collars now. But like, who's the player, I'm so bad at memory. Who's the player that goes, this goes for the Zitola. Cantona. Cantona. His favorite, se- famous celebration, you know, he pops the collar and he's just like looking around and doesn't. To be fair, that kit, that kit wouldn't be a bad one. That's also a great kit. Yeah, th- those United Sharp kits, I think. Oh, are, yeah, yeah. Like back in the day when they were just winning everything, th- those are very, very good. I did the rookie error once on eBay. I bought the third Sharp kit. It was like a grey silver. Amazing. It was like the full kit and it was like such an amazing price. I was like, oh. A proper eBay steal. It arrived. <laughs> age like, eight to eleven. It was exactly like age yeah. eight to eleven. It basically turned in like an envelope because it was so small. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, God. I gave it to my cousin in the end, but he sports Liverpool, so he didn't want it. Anyway, so that was the story of David Beckham and his goal that shook the world. As I said, this really drew a line under four years of of hurt. And it was a good goal. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll do that again. Do that again, obviously. I mean, one other thing we haven't touched on yet and kind of tying in with Stokes is Beckham was um, probably our generation's kind of England's naughty boy um, in a similar way that Stokes found himself in in the tabloids. Yeah. Um, from the from the kind of the red card against Argentina, was there other kind of other things that kind of fueled the hate the hate for him? Because I know, we, I mean, not to get too much into Hello Magazine, but when was his relationship with Beck uh, Victoria? That was that Posh. was around that time as well. Like he was when Tyler was saying he's the most recognisable footballer on the planet. That was because he was already like Golden Ball was kind of in the Man United days mm. and stuff like that. I think. Was there that big redemption arc kind of in the papers as well? Like David Lacey had a great article at the time writing for The Guardian where the headline itself was Beckham, the saving grace amid the mess. England was so poor on the day. The great test of character, but it really was a one-man army. Lacey goes on to say that the whole game was down to Beckham and it led to his metamorphosis from Peter Simple, who <laughs> admittedly I don't know who that is, to Horatio Hornblower. Ian, care, care to comment? Well, that just sounds so Guardian, obviously. But uh... <laughs> yeah, so, but he cut, thrust, ordered, and organised in the best tradition that only an English hero can. But clearly, he was feeling pretty patriotic when he wrote that. Can we hear this um, question of the week, please? Yeah. Now, no other Englishman has scored in as many World Cup finals tournaments as David Beckham has. Not even Gary Lineker. And the answer was three. So he scored in 1998, 02 and 06. Yeah, yeah. So I remember the 02 and 06 ones. I can't remember the 98 goal, obviously. You were close with five, <laughs> though, Dan. That's good effort. Well, you were closer. Um, ambitious with five. <laughs> did he even play in five World Cups? I think Gigi Buffon is like, yeah, one of the only people to play in five World Cups. With this rags to riches tale of of David Beckham or this villain to hero, whatever you want to call it, Dan, I'd like you to leave us with 
an inspiring note about how someone can can turn their life around. Far far away with your words of wisdom. My words of wisdom that have been concluded from this podcast is to achieve great heights in sport, you must first get very, very bad and then you can get better. I mean, I'm already very, very bad at most sports, (laughs) so it looks like I'm destined for greatness. So there we are. So there we have the, the story of David Beckham and his wonderfully gifted right boot and hair. So that's it for episode two of Dusty Trophies. Thanks very much for listening to our football chat. We're continuing the redemption arc through to golf next week as we look back on Rory McIlroy banishing the demons of his Masters meltdown with a stunning win at the 2011 US Open. Thanks again and speak to you soon.